being a qualified candidate, whether you're male or female, is the most important. But again, women are underrepresented in Congress, have been. That's for, I mean, the disproportionate, the statistics behind that is a representation of all of the disadvantages in our society that women face. We wouldn't be less than 20% of Congress and represent half the population if there wasn't a reason. So we need more women in leadership. We need more women running for office. We need more women speaking up, especially given the fact that we make 79 cents on the dollar that every man makes. Our health care is threatened. I think those are important reasons that we need more women running for office. That was the voice of Erin Collier. Interview with Saja coming up shortly. Welcome back to Spotlight 19 the podcast keeping track of all things Congressional District New York 19. Justin Tracy here. This week, we'll go through a few things Vaso and a few other issues that have come up in the New York 19 race. And then on to Sarge's interview with Erin Collier, who announced her candidacy a few weeks ago. That, that interview was back on March 29th. Erin actually called in, so we have not had the opportunity of meeting her yet, but we will find out in a few days if she and our other New York 19 Democratic candidates, Beals, Clegg, Delgado, Flynn, Rhodes, and Ryan, as well as our Green Party candidate, Steve Greenfield, will be on the ballot as they turn in their petitions. We'll see who ends up on the ballot after objections and whether there will be any legal fights about people's petitions. Last week, Fazo had another week of recess without posting any public events. Today, we learned from one of our listeners who had called Fazo's office that he will only be posting teletown halls and town halls on his public schedule from now on. And since he rarely has either, it seems like it will just be empty going forward. Before we get into anything else, just a reminder about two upcoming events. First, as we mentioned last week, the Fazo Friday in Kingston will be having a special guest or a theme. This Friday, April 13th, will feature Jewish Voices for Peace. And then on April 17th, 2018, which is a Tuesday, there will be another protest outside John Fazo's office at noon for the Global Day of Action on Military Spending. The Tim Horn Uprising Band, along with Citizen Action and Rise Up Kingston, are working on this to highlight how much money we spend on the military versus basic human needs. Again, both of these protests are at noon and outside John Fazzo's office in Kingston at 721 Broadway. <laughs> Going back quickly to Fazo, he did not do much that was publicized during recess other than tour several businesses around New York 19. He did acknowledge the 50th anniversary of the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. on social media, which I was glad to see. But that came after he failed to acknowledge so many other holidays and historical occasions that we've noted here. Fazo returns to Washington this week and we will be keeping track of his votes as soon as there are some. Moving on to our New York 19 primary race so far, Antonio Delgado has submitted his petition with over 6,000 signatures, and it is likely that he will appear on the ballot since only 1,200 signatures are needed. And Brian Flynn, uh, received an, Brian Flynn received an endorsement from the Transport Workers Union, which his great uncle started. Brian is the first candidate to receive a labor endorsement here in New York 19. Also, a story was published in Politico regarding Jeff Beals' financial disclosure form. We actually asked Jeff during a tiny town hall how he was able to loan his campaign $56,000 when he claimed no assets in his financial disclosure. This omission is now drawing attention from the U.S. Attorney for the Northern District of New York and FEC. And as of April 3, 2018, Jeff amended his financial disclosure to show that he had one asset, a bank account with the sum of between fifty dollars and $100,000. Question is, is it a big deal? I don't think to voters that it is a big deal. And he has amended his disclosure now, so I don't think it will be. 
although it is concerning that a document that requires certification was filed and did not have accurate information on it. Alright, so moving forward to five fast facts. We are doing an equal pay edition in honor of Equal Pay Day, or the day that symbolizes how far into the next year women must work to match what men make. It's also fitting, since Erin Collier is the only female is the only female Democratic candidate who we will hear from in just a few minutes. I don't think Fazo will mention Equal Pay Day. Number 1. Between 1998 and 2002, while Faso was in the Assembly, he voted 21 times against initiatives and legislation that would guarantee equal pay for equal work in New York State. Number 2. In a third of those votes, he was the sole no vote. Number 3. In 2002, he voted against an amendment to the New York Constitution that would have guaranteed equal pay for equal work. Number four. When Fazal was asked about his record on the equal pay issue, Fazal lied, saying that he was for equal pay for equal work, but believed that the federal laws were enough. They weren't. And because if they were, we wouldn't have such a thing as equal pay day. Number five. In 2016, Fazal wrote an op-ed in the Register Star, saying that most legislation was unnecessary for guaranteeing equal pay for equal work. Go figure. You're listening to Spotlight 19. Now we move to Sarge's telephone interview with congressional candidate Aaron Collier. Today we're speaking to Aaron Collier, who is our newest candidate to announce. Uh, She announced a few weeks ago, and I've been lucky enough to have the opportunity to watch her very compelling launch video that's kind of filmed in upstate New York and listen to her Radio Kingston interview with Hillary Harvey from a few weeks back and also watch her uh, in the teach-in from last week after the March for Our Lives. So welcome, Erin. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Thanks so much for having me here. So uh, I think our listeners have a lot of questions because we have, as you know, a really, really engaged kind of electorate that has been really awoken since uh, Donald Trump's election. And we have over 100 activist groups here in New York 19. And I think they're really interested in getting to know more about you. So my understanding is that you... uh, are born and raised in Cooperstown, and but after college at Cornell, uh, where you graduated around 2007, uh, have you actually lived in the district? And if not, how have you kind of maintained ties or served our community here? Yeah, thanks. Um, so, right, so as you mentioned, I am from Cooperstown, and, you know, my family has been in the Cooperstown area for literally eight generations. So all the way back to, um, you know, my great, 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 great grandfather who fought in the Revolutionary War and after fighting the Revolutionary War settled in um, actually what's what's Colliersville today is a small town between Cooperstown and Oneana. It's over in that area. Um, My family has literally been here since the 1700s. So we've been here a really long time and we've been farming in the area for five generations. So um, yeah, and I grew up on a working farm and, um, you know, it's, which is, uh, you know, a whole nother story. It's a lot of hard work. Um, you know, growing up on a farm was a really wonderful way to grow up and, and learned, learning all about hard work. It's a lot of work. So, um, and then, yeah, and then I have, you know, since, um, I have gone to Cornell, I have gotten my master's, um, in economics and, have traveled the world um, for work as an as an economist on a USAID project, which I started under uh, as under the Obama administration. 
Um, so on this USAID project, which is one of the U.S. government's largest projects focusing on food security for poor populations all over the world, um, I have, you know, traveled a lot, but but District 19 has has always been my home. My entire family is there, um, you know, and they, I mean, everyone is spread out all over the district, but we've been here for the whole time. And, um, you know, it's always been my home base, even, you know, I've been kind of nomadic, but in in the time that I have been nomadic, Cooperstown has always been my home base. And, um, yeah. You have really strong family ties to this district, very obvious. Um, But one of the lines of attack that the Republicans often use is, you know, people coming back to the district uh, in order to run. So do you have any strategies against that attack? They're already starting to use it against our Democrats and have been doing so since last fall. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that... um, you know, like I said, you know, not only it's not just really the family ties, but again, like, I mean, even though I've traveled a lot for work, my home base um, has always been Cooperstown. And I have been, you know, full time there over the over the past year. So um, I can't imagine, you know, I'm sure the Republicans will try to discredit. But I mean, I mean, for our family, uh, my family's been, uh, you know, I've lived my, you know, most of my life um, in the district and, you know, including the time that I have even traveled, like even taking that time out, I have spent most of my entire life um, living in Cooperstown. So, um, I mean, I can't, I'm not worried about, um, I can't imagine, you know, that being an issue for, uh, or how the Republicans can have anything to say about that. Sure. And you mentioned living here over the past year, and I kind of talked about it to you maybe off the record a little bit, but we have so many activist groups here in New York 19 that have kind of been awoken over the past year. Uh, Have you had any involvement with those groups prior to announcing your campaign? And how's your campaign really coordinating with with those groups? Obviously, you're here today with us. Um, We're kind of... uh, hybrid of activists and journalism, but uh, what is your campaign actually doing and what were you kind of doing before you announced? Right. So, you know, between um, farming and um, being an economist on a, on a USAID project, there's really no, <laughs> I have not had much other time um, to, to be involved until, I mean, the point that I was like, okay, I need to, I am going to run, and this is what I'm going to be working on. Um, I've really been th- spending my all of my time, like I mean, every waking moment um, between work and trying to, um, you know, trying to run for office and working on the farm. So um, now that I'm running, we are definitely in, in touch with all of these groups. And um, you know, I was just at an event last weekend, the Indivisible put together. Um, so, you know, now we're obviously in touch, um, very much so now that I am working on this. Absolutely. And I, you know, applaud all of the groups for all of their activism. It's wonderful. It's such a wonderful part of our, um, our district that I'm really proud of is, is all these groups that are, are standing up and doing something about it. That is, that is how we are going to fight back against, um, you know, what Trump is doing and what FASO is doing. It's those groups that, you know, that's so important. So, um, yeah, I'm absolutely in, in, in touch and, and and look forward to being in touch with them as much as possible. Sure. And you mentioned a, a lot about your farming background. And uh, I think from our research, it's, is it correct that your your family has a beef farm or... Yes, so it's a beef farm, um, and you know, um, it's it's a lot of work. It's and my family. I mean, we run it on our own, and literally, you know, it's a small farm, and um, it's not even it's not enough for a family to live on. So my parents also both worked. My mom waitressed when I was growing up, and my dad actually worked at Bassett Hospital um, because it's literally farms cannot make enough money to support a family. Um, my parents have always, you know, so the way we grew up, like we ate our own beef, we had a garden, ate our own vegetables. Um, I mean, we, it's really like it was growing up that way. You really, I really appreciate like local food and local sources and, and good, you know, good treatment of animals. I mean, I I think we have the happiest cows on, in the country, like absolutely, like I'm no doubt we have the happiest cows in the country. Um, you know, so 
that those values are really important to me. And, um, um, yeah, I think that, you know, we've always been about, we sell our meat to local people in the area at really like, um, the, the, the lowest prices you will find anywhere because my parents were always committed to selling good food to people that wouldn't be able to, that might not be able to, um, to purchase, to afford that, that quality, um, of meat else otherwise. So, yeah. Sure. And, um, Given your kind of farming background, we have a lot of different types of farms here in New York 19. There are kind of competing interests between them. Um, You know, there are all these dairy farms down in Delaware County. There are all these kind of organic farms that are smaller producers that kind of serve New York City along the Hudson Valley. So how do you kind of what are your plans to manage some competing concerns? For example, John Fazo has been a big supporter of all of these dairy farms and kind of helped them to get a foothold back in our school lunch program. So uh, I'm just wondering what your plans are specifically for farms, because that is really where your background seems to be. Um, well, you know, I would say, I mean, I guess my background is more probably, um, as an, an economist and working, yeah, but I guess for farm related, um, I would, yeah, I, I get like, I, you know, I was talking about, I'm very for locally, locally sourced foods. I mean, not only, you know, nutrition wise, it's really great. It also supports local farms and local businesses. And it's also environmentally friendly, right? I mean, our, the food system in this country has, is well and in, in you know around the world is really um is really not healthy in a lot of ways you know the carbon footprint of of how we move food around from you know every, all different locations and and the mega supermarkets um there's a lot of we're missing out on on local food a lot because of it and i think that um finding a way to you know plugging far, local farms into the school systems is a really great way to make sure that we're supporting local farms and making sure our kids are eating good locally sourced food and, you know, and, and supporting environmentally friendly um, food systems. So um, I am all for that. I also think that um, Senator Gillibrand's um, proposal for dairy farms is a really great and strong, um, you know, idea. And I'm definitely in support of that. Um, You know, on my dairy farms are really, really hard they're having i mean they're getting hit really hard and the cost of production for them are just are really high and i know like even on our road i mean in cooperstown on our road there's dairy farmers that you know friends of ours that have farms dairy farms and had to go out of business this last year because the costs for them are just too high for them to operate so um yeah i am in support of absolutely making sure that we support them as well So kind of piggybacking on the farm issue, something that comes up for farmers in in our area is uh, immigration and this crackdown that the Trump administration has been having right here in our communities. I mean, there was a story last week about a man in Socrates who's being detained by ICE. And it's really kind of um, kind of chilled people from, especially migrant workers, from coming up in the same numbers as they used to. And that's one of the sources of labor that some of our larger farms might depend on. So I just, I know that you support um, the dreamers, but on beyond that, what are some of your plans for immigration reform or what um, kind of ideas do you have uh, if you were elected? Yeah, you know, I think um, immigrants are make our, our, our country stronger. Diversity makes our country stronger. I actually tutored for two years, um, volunteered as a volunteer, tutored immigrant farm workers in upstate New York um, to in, in English to make sure that they had the tools that they needed to be able to negotiate with their employers to make sure that they, you know, were able to negotiate working hours and um, time off or pay, um, you know, just to make sure that they, I mean, because communication is, you know, obviously very is essential to to that. So um, I, 
you know, one, have always felt really strongly about this, and two, have have experience actually helping um, immigrant farm workers. So um, I would say, you know, while I, I absolutely am in support and will definitely support farms and small farms and make sure that they have, um, that they're able to grow and continue, um, you know, we also need to make sure that we're protecting workers and immigrants, uh, immigrant farm workers and immigrants are, you know, part of that. So, uh, you know, I know, you know, the whole, as, as you said, like I am definitely in support of a clean dream act and, um, and making sure that they're protected. But, you know, I also think that um, one thing, you know, that we need to consider is, you know, finding a way, a, a path to, to citizenship for for immigrants that would then allow them to, you know, have their um, rights protected. And then it's not that, that definitely, that addresses a lot of the issues. And, you know, if we have a minimum wage in place, then that would also protect them under a minimum wage because they would be and have rights to that. So um, I think that just, you know, a path to citizenship for immigrants is, a, is um, one, a way to protect them. And two, then I know I think there's, a, you know, the Republican, a Republican view that um, the immigrants are not always, you know, that maybe if they're not in the system, then they're not, um, you know, I think there's a view they're not paying their 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 part. And I think that if people are allowed to pass the citizenship, then that allows them to be in the system. And then um, they are part of the system and they are contributing and they are part of the, you know, greater economy. And um, I think that that's, that would be helpful on all sides to everybody. Sure. And uh, kind of moving along, since we do have limited time, I often say to our interviewees, we could, you know, spend all, all day on a lot of these topics. Um, but we, you know, we time is time is of the essence. Um, so a lot of our listeners are really unsure about who they're voting for, who they want to sign a petition for, and have people have been really doing a deep dive into backgrounds of candidates in a way that I don't think they necessarily may have done in past election years, um, partially because of the level of involvement, but also because they really want the strongest candidate against John Faso. So um, just kind of looking at your background, you have that you worked for the UN in Thailand. Could you tell us a little bit more about when that was and in one in what capacity that was? Yeah, so that was actually um so following um my following my graduation from Cornell University, I worked for the UN in um in Thailand and that was I was working um on a in the human trafficking department actually. And was basically the projects that I was working on were helping ethnic minorities in Thailand be able to access public services. Um, a big issue there in Thailand was that there's a lot of um, a lot of groups of people that have been living in Thailand forever, and but um, because they are not, they were not recognized by society as Thai that they were not allowed to um, have access to public services. And because of that system, were much more vulnerable to um, a lot of risks of societies, including trafficking, including um, employment sectors that were not safe. And um, so we, the points of the project were to try to, uh, the UN was putting in place was to um, help those populations be able to access um, services so that uh, as a way to address their vulnerability to poverty, basically. Sure. And uh, did you actually have to learn Thai in order to to be in Thailand? Yes. Well, actually, as a I was a Rotary Exchange student from Cooperstown, um, which I'm sure many of you are aware of, is an exchange as a student exchange program. So uh, after I graduated from Cooperstown High School, I was a, the Cooperstown Rotary Exchange student for the year, and I was in Thailand for that Rotary Exchange year. So as a, an exchange student, I actually I learned Thai that year. So I um, it was a uh, I took it on that year. You know, I was only uh, eighteen uh, as a Rotary Exchange student, but I was very 
um, to me, it was really important to use the experience to really um, make the most of it and really get to know people, the people that I was, you know, surrounded by that year and um, learn the language and integrate myself and, and learn as much about their way of living and their way of life as possible. Um, you know, so I, through that process, um, learned to speak, read, and write Thai that year. So then um, working at the UN, I was able to use those, my, my Thai language skills in my work. Um, very, very impressive. I'm sure it's not an, the easiest language to learn. <laughs> yeah, being a native English speaker, but uh, also as part of your background, and you mentioned it a little bit earlier, um, is that you're working under the Obama administration with USAID. And I think there's a little bit of confusion as to whether you are a direct employee of USAID or whether you were working for a contractor. I have down in my notes that you were um, an employee of, is it Chimonics? the contractor uh, that works for USAID. I guess people are just wanting to clear that up because this week Chelsea Handler actually tweeted that you were an appointee. So I think there's just some confusion about what your role was. Yeah. uh, So I started under the Obama administration as an economist on the USAID project. I was not, uh, I'm not a federal um, employee. So I'm not a a USAID officer. I, yeah. I'm the work is through. So the way USAID projects works is the projects are um, managed by um, other companies. So I was work. I'm an economist on the project, but not as a federal officer. Okay, understood. And um, I guess we've kind of somehow managed to not speak about kind of the cornerstone of your launch video, which is that you're the only woman to run against um, all of the, we have six Democratic contenders who are running against you who are all male. And, um, you know, I think that everyone should be judged, of course, on their own merits, but women's issues are really having a cultural moment at this point in time. Uh, We've seen the Me Too movement and the Time's Up movement kind of come culminate into a national conversation. So I know you've done all this great work abroad that obviously uh, one of they're helping women, you know, to agriculture when you're empowering um, these countries in Africa and doing this type of work for food security. But I'm wondering what you've done here at home. I know you mentioned at the Indivisible event that you uh, made sure rural hospitals um, got funding. So I was wondering if you could speak more about that. I think you mentioned, is it Baza, Baza Systems? Or I don't know if I mis- misheard it. Sure. So, well, let me uh, let me touch a little bit on the women stuff first, since you mentioned Sure, that. sure. Yeah, I asked, I asked pretty loaded questions. So <laughs> you can there. get to, yeah. Um, so, you know, so first on the women's issue, um, you know, so first and foremost, um, I think it's really important. I want everyone to know that, yes, I am running as a woman. And, yes, um, I, you know, I think that we absolutely positively need more women in leadership. Um, women are – there is Congress has less – is less than 20% made up of women. That is um, – that is unacceptable to me. Um, we are completely underrepresented in leadership and – have been um, for all of our history. So um, that's an issue, and that is something we need more women running for office. I think that that has been a very um, loud and clear message this entire year that um, we need more women running for office, we need more women in office, and, um, you know, women need more of a voice, especially when the fact that there a lot of, um, you know, with a lot of our, our health care is being attacked, we're still not paid equally to men. I think that, you know, we need more women in office. However, you know, so I am running as a woman, but I'm not just running because I'm a woman and and that's not my only credentials. Um, I'm very qualified as well, you know, and it's not, it's not just about running as a woman, it's running, it's about running as a qualified um, individual and I happen to be a woman, a qualified woman. So, uh, yeah, I think that that's a really important message that I, you know, I want people to know. And, you know, you know, while I, you know, I think that the March, the first March, March uh, in 2017, the Women's March, for me, was a really inspirational moment. It was really powerful. I know that there was a lot of other women 
um, in our district that went to the marches. And, um, you know, to see so many people, not just women, to see so many people get together and stand up and um, and fight back and, and against what we were seeing happening and say that, you know, we were not going to be quiet about it was really powerful to me. And, um, you know, for me, I just, I felt strongly um, that I felt like I was qualified and that, you know, I have been fighting my entire life to support and, and lift up communities. And, you know, as an economist, I'm Ivy League educated. I um, have really deep, strong roots in the district. I felt like I was qualified to run and wanted to, um, you know, be be a voice for, for everyone in, in our district. So um, that being said, to the health points that you brought up, I, um, I have, so I do have experience um, with this. I personally advocated for, fought for, and secured funding for Bassett Healthcare Network, which is a huge healthcare network in our district. And, um, and that was at the federal level. So, you know, while John Faso is taking away healthcare from our constituents, I am actually the only candidate who has fought for and fought for healthcare at the federal level for our district. So, um, you know, healthcare is very important to me. I have also, you know, I also know what it's like to not have healthcare. Uh, I had our healthcare insurance. I lost my health insurance at one point. Um, and so I know what it's like to not know when you're going to, if you're going to be able to, you know, afford if you have to go to a doctor for something. It's, it's really a scary position that, and that nobody should be in. Um, a human, I mean, healthcare is a human right. It's a basic right. Everybody should have healthcare access to quality and affordable healthcare, no matter their age, their income level, their gender. Um, it should just really be a, a basic right. Uh, I also, you know, I studied abroad while I was at Cornell. Um, I studied abroad in Ecuador. And while in Ecuador, I, um, and I chose that study abroad program because it was a community service program. Um, I didn't want to just study abroad and do the typical study abroad experience. I wanted to, as I have throughout my life, use the experience to be able to give back to a community wherever I was going to be. So I did a community service project, and the project I did was actually working in a healthcare clinic um, in a very, very, very poor neighborhood for women, um, for mothers and children, women and children. So I, working at that health clinic, you know, mothers would walk um, barefoot with their children all morning to get to this health clinic to see us, to get services for their sick children. And um, that's, that is really, it's heartbreaking to see. And it just shows you, I mean, health is everything. Um, without health, you, you have nothing. You can't, you can't function. So um, I feel really strongly about healthcare. I feel really strongly about universal healthcare for, for our constituents and for everybody in our country. Sure. And a litmus test for a lot of our uh, constituents here that are voting in the primary. Uh, it's a little bit different when you get to the general, but their litmus test is, are you going to support Medicare for all? And that means, you know, the bills that are currently on the floor or uh, they're not on the floor because they won't be brought to the floor by our current leaders, but they're currently <laughs> uh, written and um, there's one in the House, there's one in the Senate that's supported by 16 senators. Are, will you support those bills? I think that um, is a question that we got from a lot of folks out there. Yeah, I think that the, so I am for a path to Medicare for all. Um, I, I'm in support. I think the Sanders bill is essentially that. It's essentially a path to Medicare for all. It basically it reduces the age requirement eligibility every year over four-year stance. So it's basically a path to Medicare for all at the end of it. And I think I am definitely in support of that bill if, um, you know, and I know Gillibrand is also a supporter of that, and I think that that's great. I also support it. And um, if that doesn't go through, then I think that, um, you know, we need to find, we need to find a way um, to get there. There's a lot of models out there, you know, countries all across Europe have their own system um, for providing universal health care coverage. And I think that we need to find, you know, the U.S. has our own dynamics and we need to find a model that works for us to, um, to, to get on a path to Medicare for all. And a, and a, sure. a path needs to make sure that we're protecting people 
who were that were protecting the Affordable Care Act and protecting people who rely on their health care right now um, in the process. One of the concerns of people uh, who are really passionate about Medicare for all, and these are some of the voters in the primary, um, are that, you know, are you are you committed to pushing for that or are you committed to maybe finding another way if that doesn't work out, um, especially in light of the fact that you were advocating for more funding for a healthcare provider here that is actually, is, is BASA Systems is ultimately for profit. So how do you kind of balance those, those two positions? Um, yeah, I think, well, healthcare is also the largest employer in, in the district. And so, I mean, and, and you need hospitals to provide healthcare services. So, um, I mean, supporting, supporting hospitals and make sure that they're able to provide their health services um, does not in any way contradict to also making sure that people have to, to fighting for Medicare for all and to, and, and for fighting for universal healthcare coverage. Um, yeah. Healthcare hospitals are the healthcare providers, but that in no way negates or takes away from my, from my strong advocacy for um, a path to Medicare for all and universal healthcare coverage. Moving on, healthcare is a topic that obviously deserves its own show, and it's probably the top concern for constituents here and around the country. We just saw in Pennsylvania that that was kind of number one for the special election from a few weeks ago. But, uh, you know, we just don't have that time. But another another issue that is uh, we usually ask about is your position on racial justice and kind of um, what you plan to do about the problems that we have right here in the community where, you know, New York 19, while it doesn't have any federal prisons, it does have a number of state prisons. While it's kind of demographically, it's mainly white. We do have a lot of minorities in many of our towns and cities that are being kind of unfairly targeted. So what are some of your positions uh, on that issue? Yeah, I think, you know, race is, um, is unfortunately con- is still a serious issue in our country. And, um, I mean, I think we saw this last year with Charlottesville and, um, what happened in Charlottesville and our president's, um, complete, I mean, inappropriate way of, and disappointing and, um, just uh, everything, um, way of handling that situation. I mean, uh, that was, it, it is really outrageous. And, um, yeah. And, you know, I actually even, I traveled just after, uh, Trump made his remarks about the, you know, the shithole countries, um, in Africa, I actually traveled for work, uh, to Africa and was in those countries and had, um, I, I had taxi drivers even asking me, how do I feel about our, about our president and the way he talks about people. And, it was um it was so embarrassing it was really really embarrassing um to have a leader that um is racist and talks about people that way it is just it i i've never been so embarrassed um it was bad so um this is something you know i work with incredibly talented brilliant wonderful kind people from all different backgrounds, all different countries, all different ethnicities and beliefs. And, um, you know, we need to um, bring values of compassion and um, understanding and, and, to, and make sure that we, you know, are addressing race in our country, racism, because it's, it's an issue. And, um, you know, the fact that um, minorities are disproportionately targeted in our, in our um, justice system is just, is, is still an issue and it's still a problem. I mean, we've seen this over, we've been, you know, the things that have been happening is just unacceptable. So I think that this is a systemic problem. It's, it's in all parts of our society. It's in the education system. It's in our employment. It's in our, it's in the, um, in our prison system. It's, it's everywhere. So it's something that we need to address. It's not, there's not just one bill that's going to address race in our country, racism. It's going to be, um, it's going to be on many different levels, making sure that education um, opportunities are accessible to everybody, making sure that 
um, we're addressing the, you know, the law enforcement. Um, we need to make sure that there's training in law enforcement that is, um, m- you know, addressing this issue and making sure that law enforcement officers are comfortable with situations and able to handle them um, in a way and that we're not just targeting neighborhoods and, and people that are, you know, of a certain background or a certain, um, of a certain race. Yeah. Sure, absolutely. And I'm happy to hear, you know, some people kind of tap dance around calling the president a racist, but that's what he's revealed himself to be. And we shouldn't be afraid to call, call him out on it. So it's Mm -hmm. kind of nice to hear it directly instead of, you know, oh, he uses racist rhetoric. No, his policies are affecting, you know, a whole class of people here. Um, Mm -hmm. So something else that unfortunately comes with being hyper-involved is this increased scrutiny. And there's also kind of a level of suspicion um, that that comes along with that. And I think a lot of activists, a lot of people who are activists here, it's their first time being super involved and active. And it's the first time they followed an election so closely. And I think uh, a few folks were kind of taken aback that you're entering the race late and there's no way to kind of um and it seems like you've raised a substantial amount of money based on you know how beautiful your launch video was so I know on Hillary's show you mentioned uh you were committed to transparency but um unfortunately we're not going to actually be the public won't be able to see your FEC filings until after petitioning so um I think People are wondering where your core fundraising is coming from. Um, I know some of the folks on your team and some of your supporters are from uh, the de Blasio campaign. And there's just a lot of speculation out there. And I just want to give you the opportunity to kind of speak to that. Yeah. So, (laughs) you know, I, uh, this is a, this is a big question. I, so let me put it this way. I grew up very poor on a farm and um, have worked my entire life to get where I am. I've been working since I was 14 years old. I waitressed and um, took out student loans to put myself through college. So um, I could not be more um, sincere when I say I have worked my butt off my entire life to, to achieve what I've achieved. And, um, so, you know, which I think a lot of families and a lot of individuals can relate to. And also, you know, those are challenges that a lot of people face. So, you know, I, in this process of running for office, um, it's, it's been, it's hard to run for office as somebody who is not personally very wealthy or from a wealthy family or from a privileged background. Um, it is really, really, really hard. And that is literally speaks to why um, I'm entering now. I would have loved to enter earlier if it was um, feasible. I have been working my butt off to try to figure out how somebody who's not personally wealthy, doesn't have a wealthy family, can do this. So um, that is literally why, like, that's, that's the whole point of this. And that's why as I did that process and I realized how prohibitive our system is to individuals who aren't really wealthy and aren't, you know, from that kind of background, how prohibitive it is for somebody like that to run for office, it made me want to do it even more. Because I think that's a problem with our political system is that we have a Congress that is, the majority of Congress are multimillionaires. And um, that is why Congress, I think, is so disconnected from working class families, because they don't know what it's like to live through these challenges. And but people that do know what it's like to live through these challenges, it is almost impossible for us to run for office because of literally just because of the financial barriers to do that. So, um, so yeah, so I have been working my butt off um, to, to, to try to get everything together, together in time for petition season. And I am so excited and proud of myself for doing it. Um, and so, yeah, I'm just excited that I was able to get in in time for the petitions. Um, as far as, you know, fundraising goes, this is a big, this is my, you know, like speaking to the background I just described, like that's my, that's the hardest part. I don't have a ton of, you know, my, my money that, personal money that I can 
put in for my campaign. I have to raise the funds myself. And, um, you know, so I'm running a back a grassroots campaign um, I, because I believe that, you know, government should be its power of the people. And um, so I want, you know, the power to come from the people. And that's how I'm that is how I'm doing this. Um, I'm just curious, you're, you're running a grassroots campaign, but you have kind of the, these celebrities kind of retweeting you. Is there any sort of PR company or anything that you're working with? Because we don't have the benefit of seeing your filings. Um, no, that is literally just like word of mouth, people spreading my, I, I think it's really, I mean, honestly, it's just like my video, like, we did a great job of like telling my story in the video. Some of it, you know, it's hard to capture your whole story. Of course. Um, in, in 90 seconds. So really we had to kind of go for part of a story and, you know, and then, and then know, knowing that I would be able to talk to the other parts of my story as the campaign went along. But I really think it's just that, you know, um, the part that we did tell just ha- is just resonating with people and is just spreading. Um, that is, you know, I, that is literally it. I am just, I am just a normal everyday person doing this. And I'm so excited that it seems to be resonating so well and spreading so well and that it's getting picked up so much. That is like, I am, I am, it is such an honor for me. Um, but there is no, um, magical recipe behind it. It is literally just, um, it's just spreading as, as it is on its own. Sure. And my last question for you, since we're running out of time, and I I do appreciate you jumping right in and answering all these questions that are kind of all over the map. So we've heard about why you're running. And I think that each of the candidates share a trait with you. So I'm wondering what really distinguishes you. You know, you talk a lot about working, growing up on a farm, but we have a candidate who also grew up on a farm and who also kind of put himself through college. And we have two other candidates that also started out like as part of working families and kind of worked really hard. So, uh, you know, other than the fact that you're only you're the only female um, and you have these roots here uh what is it why should people sign your petition why should people vote for you sure i mean well i guess the the most i'll start with the most obvious the the most obvious difference is like you mentioned i'm the only female in this race it's six men against one female and um i you know again you know being a qualified candidate whether you're male or female is the most important but again women are underrepresented in congress have been that's for, I mean, the disproportionate, the statistics behind that is a representation of all of the disadvantages in our society that women face. That wouldn't, we wouldn't be less than 20% of Congress and represent half the population for if there wasn't a reason. So it's, you know, it's the fact that women, um, we need more women in leadership. We need more women running for office. We need more women speaking up, especially given the fact that we make 79 cents on the dollar that every man makes. We, our healthcare is threatened. Um, I think those are important reasons that we need more women running for office. Um, you know, another difference is, yes, there is some similarities, but there's some differences in the similarities. Um, you know, my, the farm I grew up on is, is a real working farm. It's, we have about almost, we have about 50 cows, 40 to 50 cows, depending on when we have calves. And we set a calf a couple of weeks ago. Um, so it's a, uh, I mean, it's, it's an, it's everyday full time labor. I'm referring to Gareth, who grew up on a Bruderhof farm, which is also a, a working farm here in the district. So I'm just kind of trying to suss out what, what is the difference between you and some of our other candidates. And another difference is, you know, as, um, you know, currently as a, I mean, my experience as an economist on a USAID project, my, I have professional experience directly informing federal policy. So that is really important for somebody who wants to represent people um, at the federal level in the federal sure. policies. So, and my experience is not from, you know, a long time ago. It's right now. I have right now current experience with um, informing federal policy. And I think that that is, also really, again, really important. Um, again, having also my experience advocating for healthcare in the district at the federal level is another, like, you know, I, another show of my experience with federal policy for, and even on behalf of the district. So, 
um, yeah, I just think that my it's my qualifications, my my experience, my professional experience with with and current professional experience with federal policy, and my um, you know I, I'm not just talking about the challenges that people have faced in the district. I, I've lived them myself. We have a little bit of time and we've been in this tiny town hall, which is kind of we're asking all the tough questions. But in our first round of interviews, I did ask one kind of softball, nice, like getting to know you question. And um, I'm going to ask it of you, too, just so our listeners can get to know you a little better. But like I used to ask, um, what kind of non-political thing are you most looking forward to doing in the district? So I'll ask you, you know, what is one of your favorite things to do in the district? I'm going to uh prevent you from saying hiking because everyone else says that. (laughs) Um, Well, actually, so as you know, I am a nationally ranked triathlete. um, And so I love, I love, um, well, I love the sport of doing triathlon. So I love the swimming, biking, running. Um, But I've, you know, I've always loved staying fit. And that comes from the way I grew up. I mean, we were just so active. And especially like, you know, I think as if you've seen my video, you know the story of the 5K that I ran with my dad, the first race I ever did. Um, and that kind of, you know, being fit and staying active and and, li- and living a healthy lifestyle is um, is something that I love. So something I am hoping to do is, you know, maybe uh, is to try to do some, maybe some 5Ks with um, young, with, with school children around the district. I would love to do that. So that is something that I'm I'm hoping to do. Sure. Uh, actually, one of our local candidates back in 2017, we actually had him on the show, and he's with Move Forward New York, Glenn Gare. He actually used to set up um, during his campaign uh, for legislature, he would have like constituent runs and do those to try, and it would be like a run with Glenn. So, and that that was a. Uh, kind of a fun, you know, different way of campaigning. Yeah, um, I mean, I just think it's good for every, I mean, it's so great. I mean, you know, running, especially running, because it's so easy. I mean, you can just, it, it doesn't take a lot. You can take sneakers, you can just go out, but it's such a great way for people to come together and you're outside in nature, getting some fresh air and doing some healthy, you know, exercise together. It's, it's such a, it's so positive. So for me, I, um, I really, I love that. You've been listening to Spotlight 19. This is Justin Tracy. Thanks for checking out our podcast. We'll be back next week. Don't forget about Fazo Friday, 12 noon, outside the Kingston office. Until then, keep the faith. Mm-hmm.